Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Baxty Future. Today I wanted to cover a few topics, starting with Dali Mini. This was an announcement last week for a new model, which is attempting, it's like a smaller version of Dali. Um, I had a lot of fun playing around with it. I, you know, heard the news on Twitter. Uh, the people behind it had been working on it for a few months now. Uh, that too, like they're just open source, distributed, like this is a volunteer initiative. Um, and so I put out a video showing you how to get access to it, how to try it. Um, I got some pretty cool generations and I'm just excited about Dali Mini because it's just another notebook. I feel like there's like two or three notebooks announced every week. <laughs> like I almost can't keep track of all the different multimodal notebooks that are coming out. Um, it's really exciting. And also each one I find gives you a different kind of result. It has a different appearance, a different signature or aesthetic, uh, which is interesting because a lot of them use the same models, right? They'll use VQGAN or Clip or, or something of that sort. Um, but it, it is really exciting. And the Dali Mini was, was just exciting because that, that's something I've been watching on Twitter and on Discord for a while now. And so just to see it out there, just to see it get done, uh, that, that, that is a tremendous achievement. And so I encourage you to play around with it. Watch my video on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash future, and try it out. I think it's just a matter of time until Dally comes out. And I think this pre-hype with all of these notebooks and models is just a taste of the hype and potential of Dally itself. If you think about it, Dally was announced January of this year. And so this hype has been building for half a year now, right? Like I think there's just so many people who want to try Dali. They, they want to try it so bad, you know, um, and, and, and get different outputs and, and play around with it and create with it that um, all of this stuff is entertainment in the meantime until Dali comes out or until uh, somebody, you know, releases an open source version, which is a similar model in terms of scale, which was trained on data, which is just as good. Um, but anyways, really exciting the stuff that's coming out. I'm, I'm really excited about all this stuff every week. There's just more we can do with it. It becomes easier. Dali mini is, is pretty straightforward. Like, you know, you just click the link hugging face, you enter it. It even gives you multiple options per request. Like, it's not like you have to like enter it once hit enter and see what it comes up with. It's showing you like eight different versions and you can just pick the one you like. You can even, you know, click on the image and see, see a bigger version, right? So uh, Dally Mini, very exciting. I think that was the big thing for just this multimodal uh, GPT-3 world. Um, and, you know, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for more models and more updates. And I'll, I'll feed them on to you guys as they develop. Um, I also wanted this week to just talk about just sort of some ge general technology stuff. And a lot of this stuff I've been talking about on my Substack newsletter, BAKZT Future. Now, this stuff I had released as a newsletter piece, but I actually, not only do I want to expand on it today, but I also want to put it and frame it in a GPT-3 and multimodal context, which I did not do in the Substack newsletter. And the reason I didn't do it is it's just like, like as a writing piece, I think you need focus. And like, yes, sure, most of the stuff I talk about is either about GPT-3 or multimodal AI, but I, I think it's really important to have focus and 
Like it's still, there's a difference between a writing piece and just a podcast where I can tell you about the writing piece and then expand on it more from that AI perspective. So, so one of that pieces was called, you know, what is technology? How do you come up with startup ideas? And the, the gist of it is so, so for example, Y Combinator, their slogan, if you don't know, Y Combinator is, is like Harvard for startups. It's like this accelerator where you can go if you have an existing startup, get funding, get advice, raise money, all that stuff to just kickstart your, your startup. Um, they, they have a single slogan, which is called make something people want. That's their slogan, make something people want. And there's a lot of wisdom behind that because making something people want, it forces you to look for ideas that actually relate to other people. <laughs> like it's not just something you 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 think could maybe work. It's like, you know, it kind of forces you to look for things people would actually want. Now, in theory, you want to make things people need, right? Because then they'll use it and pay you for it. But I think that's just too much pressure up front, right? Like it's really hard to think of ideas people need, but I think you can find ideas that people want and sort of use use that as a gauge and like sort of find lukewarm ideas and iterate on them until they become needs, right? That the users need. Like you might start off with a want, but that want is actually a symptom of a bigger need, right? And so like, look, I think it's a good saying. I think there's a lot of wisdom. At least you'll be building things you think people want as opposed to building things nobody wants, <laughs> right? Um, now, I, I agree with that saying, but for in the piece called What is Technology? How do you come up with startup ideas? I think there's a step before that. And this is sort of the formula I've always applied to just my own startups and side projects and ideas. Um so it, it has to do with how I view technology. So, so me personally, um, I think technology and making technology is just about reducing the number of steps it takes for you to do something, for your user to do something. Um, and so like, uh, I mean, a primitive example would be you had bread, you needed to warm it up, right? you know, it may be in the past, you would, you know, have to start up your fire <laughs> or like, you know, like start up your oven and preheat the oven and wait for the oven, open the oven door, you know, put the bread in, take it out at the exact right time. Right now, that's a lot of steps to just warm up your bread. And by the way, I don't think this is the, this is the timeline or history of events with how, um, things evolved. But anyways, compare that to just a toaster, right? Where you can just slide the bread in, it fits perfectly. You know, you, you know, you push down, you push a button, it, it supervises the toast and gets it to a perfect temperature. And then it even ejects it for you. So you can just grab it off, uh, off the toaster. So that's like two or three steps maximum, right? So that is evidence of technology. You have saved people many steps instead of having to do it themselves. Now, I don't know the actual timeline for toast. Like, <laughs> like if it was always like, like, I don't know how people warmed up toast before the toaster, if I'm being honest, but hopefully you get the idea. And so my view of technology sort of is a very utilitarian view of technology. And it, it it's kind of based on Peter Thiel's definition of technology. He defines technology as doing more with less. And so the way I sort of come up with startup ideas, keeping in mind, like, I think the simple definition is about reducing steps. Um, I, I, I think the, the way that I look for startup ideas is I'll just observe what people are, are doing throughout their day and spe specifically these work kinds of activities, stuff they might do for, do for their job. 
And it's just a matter of, okay, this is their goal. This is how many steps it takes to do it. Can I reduce that to two or three steps? Can I reduce this from an eight hour time that it takes them to do it four hour time into like two minutes, right? And if you can save them steps, at least when you approach them and say, hey, I have this new tool, you know, you'll be sharing something which you know saves them time and is at least a little bit easier than how they're using it now. And hopefully that will be valuable to them and something they want, maybe even something they need. And so like my definition of technology, the way I look for startup ideas, I put very crisply, crisply looking for ways to save people steps in having to do things and making, making something people want. Um, that's how I would define it. Um, now, so, so where this stuff gets interesting, right? Like I think, so what is GPT-3, <laughs> right? Like I wonder how many steps does GPT-3 save you? <laughs> Right. Like, I mean, I, I hope you've all seen my video on generating press releases with GPT-3. Check it out. YouTube.com slash B-A-K-Z-T future. But in the past, writing a press release was way more steps, right? Like you're talking like I got to load up Google Docs. I got to, you know, th- like I got to first make my coffee because writing this press release is going to take some time. Right. So make the coffee, load up Google Docs. And I'm thinking about what is the company? Like what's, what's, what's the, what are we announcing today? What's the significance of it? And then I'd have to, you know, you know, push my hand forward, start typing into the keyboard, write some stuff, delete some stuff, write some stuff, delete some stuff. (laughs) Right. Uh, do go through a few drafts. Right. Uh, and then finally, finally, I may have something which looks like a press release, uh, after, you know, at least I'd say two, two to four hours of work. And maybe it's cause I'm not that experienced at writing press releases. I've just done it maybe at a junior level, but Nowadays, if you watch my video, like it's literally like as simple as with GPT-3, like you just give it the headline, you give it the headline and GPT-3 writes it for you. And like, I've like, 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 I'm not kidding here. Like I've shown these actual press releases that people in public relations, like I've shown GPT-3 press releases to people who work in PR and they were impressed. Like some of them were like, this could go out like today. If like, you know, there's some minor revisions they'd make just, just for the sake of the craft. But for the most part, yeah, it could be published. And just like, just thinking about how many steps GPT-3 saves, right? And that's just one use case, right? Across the board, how many use cases uh, could GPT-3 save? Um, So, so, you know, obviously, obviously, like I'm saying, like, uh, obviously, it's obvious AI would save us steps, (laughs) right? Especially AGI, artificial general intelligence, right? We could debate at what points GPT-3 is AGI or not. But I mean, can we agree it's at least saving us a lot of steps, right? Um, You know, one of the other use cases for GPT-3 is explaining concepts as if you're five years old, right? Um, That is a, you know, painstaking process. It takes a lot of steps. Now you just give your blurb and GPT-3 can translate it, right? And so then the question is, um, how do you generate GPT-3 specific startup ideas, right? Which is, a, which is a really, really interesting question. Um, and and in, in many ways, it contradicts, I think, typical startup advice, right? So typical startup advice is you start with the customer or ideally you are the customer. This is a need or problem you have that you feel it's painful. Uh, and then you build your own solution. So you, you be customer centric, you build your solution, and then you put it out there, right? Um, and customer first, then technology and product. Whereas I think in the GPT-3 case, it's actually worth maybe, maybe 
uh, flipping that around. I think I think it starts with a use case. I think it starts with a use case, some kind of discovery, uh, clarifying whether GPT-3 can even do the, that use case. If it can do it, how well? If it can't do it, is this something you can fine tune for it to do it? Is this something that maybe you could have uh, human uh, editing and human filtering before it's to, it gets back to the end user? And I just think the... I just think you have no other choice because A, we simply don't know all the things that GPT-3 can do and B, uh, once once we do know it can do something, it's kind of like a breakthrough. Like it's kind of like a discovery and then it's a question of can it do it at a commercial level, like a commercial scale. Like if you have a use case, you know it works fine, it's accurate, but every once in a while it says something racist, <laughs> like that's not okay, right? Um, part of the reason I put out the the press release video uh, was because I, I felt it was actually commercially viable. Like I felt like eight out of 10 times GPT-3 would, would give you like an actual very good press release. It would not get distracted. It would not rant. It would not do all the typical things GPT-3 can do where it goes off the rails, right? And th so the reason I'm saying though, like it, the, the process is gonna be flipped on its head where it's technology and AI first before customer-centric problems. Um, I think the reason is simply because um, the potential of GPT-3 to save people so much time and steps. This technology is so much more powerful than technology of the past that I just don't think that conventional advice applies anymore, right? Like in the past, they would tell you, don't focus on technology, focus on the customer because the technology part was a lot less, uh, there's a lot less delta of just, uh, innovation going on there, right? Like congrats, like, you, you know, you know, the latest web framework, right to the end user the that framework that that delta is not that big of a deal the website looks the same like it acts the same right you might think it's innovation but it's not really but the thing with gpt3 that delta of innovation the difference between what the customer perceives is possible today with technology and what actually is i mean you know that that pr demo that i showed to somebody who works in pr they had like an existential crisis with me on the call like i can't believe ai can do my job right so I'm just saying that Delta is so big that it's actually worth flipping it on its head. I actually think you should look for use cases uh, and look for uh, the GPT-3 technology side first before you like, you know, involve customers. And once that's done, you can go to the customer and just show them that AI can do this and just see, is this a need and will they pay? I also think too, use case discovery, GPT-3 based prototyping, it does not take time. It is it is like insanely easy to integrate something as powerful as GPT-3 into your web application. Like it's insanely easy. And so like what I'm saying is there's not much to lose either. If you go with the technology over customer centric approach first, um, you're not losing a lot of time. You might be able to figure out in 20 minutes if GPT-3 can do what you want it to do, another 20 minutes to see if it can do it reliably. If you want to get fancy, maybe an hour or two for fine tuning. And pretty much the AI part, which is the hard part, is done. Then it's just a matter of building a web app on top of it. And so what I'm saying is once you have your GPT-3 use case, fine, you've discovered one, you were able to sell to a customer, then everything, you know, the pendulum swings back to the customer centric perspective. Then you're like, okay, I have the use case, the MVP, the minimum viable product, that demo is out there, customers are using it, they're paying for it. Now you're gonna look at the world from their perspective, what other needs do they have? Am I fully fulfilling their needs? Do they absolutely love this product? How many of their friends have they told? Um, and I think this, this whole uh, 
technology first over customer centric uh, first. Um, it's very unique, and I, I think it goes against the convention. But I just think GPT three is just so different. I don't think the other conventional technology wisdom applies, and the potential to make money, let's be honest here, is real, right? And also, when I think about sort of like the breakthrough GPT three products like Copy AI, uh, what's that other one? Writingly, I, they got acquired. I can't remember their name, but they were like an AI writer, um, and some other ones. Uh, these are not, you know, customer centric, at least the prototypes, I don't think were driven by that, right? I think they were driven by technology and GPT-3's use case and potential and commercial applic applicability. I think it was that way. Now, I mean, and I don't mean that no disrespect to copy AI and everybody like, you know, maybe they were customer centric. I don't know the full story. I'm sure they probably had this problem of writing copy. But I am saying um, their process, I think, started more with can GPT-3 do this? Can it do it commercially? Okay, let's put it out there and see what happens. And I think I think that's more of the formula for for people trying to start GPT three companies. Um, and so the Substack piece didn't go at all into the GPT three side. It just talked about my philosophy. But I think there was something between the lines about how do you generate, how do you come up with GPT three related startup ideas? I mean, my answer is discover a use case and commercialize it. That's my answer. And do it by trying to save people steps and making something people want. I think I think in a nutshell that that's what I'm that's what I'm sort of talking about in more detail on the podcast that I just didn't cover in the newsletter uh, because it's it's a really complex thing and I'm thinking to maybe make a longer Substack piece about it. Uh, if you don't know, like I wrote a piece on how to build a startup monopoly with GPT three last October. I think it's probably one of my biggest. GPT-3 pieces. I must have spent like two weeks on that piece. And obviously I was going on several bike rides <laughs> trying to put together all my thoughts. <laughs> but yeah, that piece, you could check it out. BAKZ2Future.substack.com. It's called like 22 ways to build a, a GPT-3 startup monopoly or something. And if I'm being honest, I think that piece has like a little bit of a folklore. <laughs> in the GPT-3 community, just because so many people have read it, I, I'm sure it, you know, it, it had different angles and, you know, a lot of ideas that, uh, they, that, that hopefully helped them. Right. And that piece just like that addresses a different problem with GPT-3 startups, which is like, how do you compete because other people can access GPT-3 too and make a startup just like yours relatively quickly. Um, and so that's another, if you're interested in this whole GPT-3 startup uh, topic, check it out. Um, and so just transitioning, there was another piece that I wrote uh, just about a new pair of earphones. Um, it's called The Tech Industry is Always Craving Something Different. I published that on my Substack, um, And uh, it was kind of about like, um, I, I, had, I had heard about a product, a new kind of earpiece coming out from a company called Nothing. Uh, it was the Nothing Ear One Headphones. And they just, they not only had a really compelling design, but their whole marketing and promotion was just so different from like the typical Apple and Google, you know, consumer electronics presentation. Um, and I just found it really inspiring that this company had really thought through things differently. Um, they had really uh, done different things. It was aesthetically very pleasing. They really stood out. And it brought me back to just the whole Steve Jobs, like, you know, the slogan he gave Apple was think different. And I just think that is a really important slogan. Everything you do, like it's worth at least thinking through. 
right? And every once in a while, you'll find a lot of the things that we do do not make sense anymore. The world has changed. And so that's when you think different. And there's something about the tech industry where everybody is just drawn to doing what everyone else is doing. Everybody is so drawn to doing the same things other people are doing, making stuff that looks like everybody else's stuff. And I think there is always this absence of taste, originality, uh, you know, uh, you know, s- some refinement across the board. And I think we forget, I think, I think we, what we forget, and this is what I alluded to at the end of the piece. I, I really think we forget that technology is about advancement and it's about advancement in everything. Like you can make a new pair of earphones and sure they may have better, I don't know, like Bluetooth range or sound quality, uh, than the last generation but they look like and are promoted just like Apple's AirPods, right? And we just forget that advancement isn't only in the technology. I think it's the whole thing, right? It's it's the product. It's the distribution. It's the communication. It's you you want to question all your assumption, assumptions for everything. And I think part of the reason you want to do that, like people like me, like I'm drawn to, to advancement in, in all these different ways, not just the product. And I think that's what... Uh, everyone loved about Steve Jobs and Apple as well. I just think they thought through things uh, and found the right way to do things for how th- how for for the modern day, based on how things have evolved and changed. They they didn't just do the same stuff that everybody else is doing, and I think that's part of the excitement that the technology industry shares is not just the products, but the whole the whole shebang that you advance not only the product, but you also advance the marketing and the messaging and the nature of the product itself. Um, you know, this this design that they came up with, I, th- I think is is pretty compelling, right? And I, I watched it, the, the, what started it was I was watching a, a YouTube channel I follow that analyzes, uh, you know, industrial design. Um, he was reviewing it and he was just talking about how this is a very clever, you know, aesthetically pleasing design. And I can see this design becoming the norm, like in the same way Apple's, you know, the product, consumer electronics product is white and it, it, you know, it looks that way. I can see this, this company style becoming the dominant style that all these other hardware electronics companies adopt. That's what I can see because it just seems so much more advanced than what I'm looking at now. Uh, and like me in tech, I'm, I'm drawn to advancement, advancement in design, advancement in marketing, promotion, everything. You know, I, 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 I like things moving forward. Um, and so again, this is where, you know, I've summarized the piece. I've shared my opinion, expanded on it a little bit more. This is now where we drift back into GPT-3 and multimodal territory. So I wrote that piece. I didn't get into the GPT-3 side, but it is something that I've been thinking about uh, which is, you know, we are starting to see a saturation uh, with the different models, right? Like we have GPT-J, we have GPT-Neo, we have Cohere, and we have OpenAI. Uh, and to some extent, what is the nature of the product? Is it a commodity product? Is this something like you don't care about your the electricity company, which one you have, as long as you, you're getting electricity? Is this like that? Um and, uh, you know, where will these things go, right? Uh, how will they differentiate themselves? And uh, is it just an arms race? In, in, a, in a previous podcast, I talked about how, like, you know, I don't know what else OpenAI can do in that GPT-3 space other than, you know, releasing 
uh, a model that's, you know, better than everything else on the market. So I'm saying, you know, the open source stuff is at, uh, you know, whatever they catch up to, 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 to GPT-3 DaVinci at 175 billion parameters. OpenAI returns a week later with 1 trillion, <laughs> right? And maybe they can do better training data. Like, I, I think the, the value add is a lot more. Like, it's, you know, uh, OpenAI is, is the company probably if you want to safely commercially, uh, you know, deploy uh, AI, right? And so you part, partner with them. But I'm saying at a product level, uh, how will they differentiate? And... At the same time, I, I think I've tweeted in the past that I think OpenAI is is the is the Apple of our generation, uh, at least of this decade. Like every product they have is is at least to me every product they announce is just earth shattering. I think I, I think I tweeted something like uh, every time OpenAI announces a new product, it is an earth shattering event for me where I actually need time to process. <laughs> Right. Like when OpenAI released uh, GitHub Copilot and announced OpenAI Codex like that day, like I, I quickly uploaded the YouTube video. And then, you know, I think I went on like a, an hour and a half, two hour bike ride. Like I just couldn't work because it just has so many implications for where things are going and how quickly things are moving, like even on an existential level. Um, and uh, so I just I also think OpenAI is like Apple because also in the way the iPhone just drove the narrative in tech from let's say 2008 to 2020, I can see GPT-3 and DALI and these things driving the narrative for tech from 2021 to 2030. I can see it being at the center of how everything else changes, everything in the ecosystem. And I guess I guess the larger piece I'm asking, you know, when we're talking about startup ideas, when we're, we, you know, when we're recycling Steve Jobs' philosophy of think different, I guess the big question I'm asking is how will we think different? this decade? How will we not take for granted the GPT-3 stuff, but actually refine and rethink, you know, GPT-3, rethink our products that we build on top of it, rethink our marketing and promotion? What are some things that we're doing now that don't make sense, right? Um, and also, certainly the stuff we're doing is inherently different. Like, I, I think one of the things with GPT-3 is when GPT-4 comes out, um, I, I think the same startups that were successful in GPT-3 have to seriously refactor for GPT-4, right? So I just, I also think we'll have completely different dynamics, don't get me wrong. But I, I, I do think it's worth thinking through the assumptions that, that we're living by in this technical revolution as well. And so, anyways, uh, this is a pretty encompassing discussion today. Uh, I, I would love to read in the comments. Uh, where, where do you guys come out? Like, what what is what is distinctive about GPT three startups? What are some things we're doing today that don't make sense? Go ahead, put it in the YouTube comments. Um, and uh, I'd love to also just hear other people's perspectives on GPT three startups in general. I mentioned my monopoly piece. Part of the reason I published that is there are inherent, you know, competitive dynamic flaws with GPT-3 based companies. My article on Substack attempted to address what you can do theoretically, but I, you know, I don't think this topic has really been explored by anybody. And this includes OpenAI themselves, right? It's interesting. They put out all this research around, you know, uh, it was good they did like for, for OpenAI Codex, like they put out a paper talking about the societal and economic implications of a model, which can write code for uh, which can write code automatically, right, through AI. 
Um, but I, I would love to see them actually write a research paper on the economics of GPT-3 based companies. Are these actually sustainable companies which you can run and succeed with regardless of competition and how much it saturates, right? The economics of GPT-3 developers matter too. Anyways, uh, that's it for today. You know this podcast is available everywhere. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, which is the Pocket Class client, which is the podcast client I use. You can check me out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Future. I apologize. I've mentioned my newsletter a few times now, but it's baxtfuture.substack.com, B-A-K-Z-T-Future.substack.com. And please, 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 somebody please leave a review for this podcast. <laughs> Uh, on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. I don't think we've had a single review. I'd appreciate that. And five stars. I also want to quickly plug a subreddit I run, reddit.com r slash multimodal. This has, that that Reddit subreddit has nothing to do with the podcast, but I would love to see it just grow as its own community as multimodal models like DALI, mini DALI, CogView, latent revisions. As these things grow, I'd love to just see it, uh, see it grow as well. So anyways, That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day, evening, night, wherever you are. Hope it's awesome. Bye.